Exodus. Well, we'll continue this journey of redemption. Exodus is a great picture of the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the title of our message this morning will be The Fingers of God. The Fingers of God. Now we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, He literally does have fingers. Amen. He has hands and feet and, and a side. But when we think about God the Father as a spirit, God the Father as a spirit has not a body like, like men. And when God is spoken of in this way as having fingers or God's face, they're anthropomorphisms. They're ways of expressing different aspects of what God does uh, with his power and, and with his will. And it says here in the plague of the lice, the magicians come to Pharaoh. They could not replicate. This is the first time they haven't been able to replicate the plagues. And they tell him, man, this is the fingers of God. And it just made me think about, I never thought about it before, but how many fingers do most normal people have? Everybody? Ten. Amen. Thank you. And I say normal. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to call anybody that may, might have more unnormal, but most people just have ten. And I was thinking about that with the fingers of God. How many plagues were there? There were ten plagues, right. And it's like God said, blood, lice, frogs, hell. He used all ten of his fingers, as it were, to uh, not only show his power, but to protect his people and to show his plan that he had for their deliverance. And so these uh, plagues, we could all think about them as God putting his finger into the world and, and, and controlling things and affecting uh, his will in the armies of heaven, right, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can what? Stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? So we're, we're talking about the fingers of God. Uh, so I just want you to look at that in Exodus chapter 8. And I'm, all I'm going to read today, I'm not going to read everything about all the plagues. We're going to go through plagues 3 through 9 just quickly. There are specific things about each one that I'm going to mention, but it's just kind of a repeat pattern. God sends a plague. Pharaoh says, oh, tell God I'm sorry and, and let the plague up. God does that. Pharaoh hardens his heart back and says, you know, I'm not going to let the people go. But I want to stop before the 10th plague because the 10th plague was on another level. And it needs to be talked about on, on its own. But we're just going to go through these quickly today. But I'm just going to read about the plague of the lice and especially where it says that this is the finger of God. So if you're there, Exodus chapter 8, we want to begin in verse 16, and the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast, 
All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of the Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there, was lice, there were lice upon man and upon beasts. Then the magicians, the lice-covered, the lice-filled magicians, right? Oh, how impotent, how, how pathetic they are now. The magician said unto Pharaoh, This is what? The finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And so here is this imagery of God's finger reaching down and working His will, actuating His purpose in the earth, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. Beloved, I would propose to you this morning that we serve and worship a sovereign God, an omnipotent God. There is nothing that is not His will that He cannot do and not perform. That is one of the reasons I believe so much in sovereign grace and in, and in uh, the limited atonement because I believe if God wanted to save every single member of the human race, He could have done so and He would have done so because he is not limited in his power but it was not his will uh, to do that and so it was his will to save those that were chosen before the foundation of the world and to give salvation unto them jesus said that plainly in john 17 he said i've been given power over all flesh that i should give eternal life to as many as the father hath given to me and so we see this power of God he can make lice come into the land of Egypt and he can keep the lice out of the land of Goshen he can make all of Egypt be dark but keep light in the land of Goshen he can kill all the cattle of the Egyptians and he can keep the cattle of the Egyptians alive now I don't know if any of y'all have been dealing with the Japanese beetle situation that we have right now but you know, we're just trying to keep them off our crepe myrtles, off our roses, Sharon, and off my tomatoes. That's all we're trying to do. But they are resilient, these Japanese beetles. They're extremely hard to kill. But isn't it amazing how with the locusts, with the flies, even remember when they left the dogs, all the dogs, that God didn't even allow the dogs to bark in Egypt. When the Chihia just has such complete sovereign power and control. He's to be worshipped. And glorified for that. Well, I, I just want to talk about some places before we jump in here where the scripture tells us about the finger of God. Because here we see God's ten fingers in the ten plagues. And we realize how awful and terrible that that is. But also turn with me uh, to uh, chapter 31 of Exodus. And we alluded to this when we were talking to the children. But God also did ten other things with His finger. The ten commandments. And I just want to remind you of this, that these were so important to God. And, you know, the ten commandments have fallen on hard times <laughs> in our days as something that is accepted by the majority of people. But I do find it interesting, even behind the bench of the Supreme Court, Behind them on the wall is a list of God's commandments. I remember one time uh, Ted Turner said 
that they shouldn't be the Ten Commandments. They should be the Ten Suggestions. And I bet that he wishes that it was that way. But, beloved, they are so important to God. The Ten Commandments are so important to God that he engraved them in stone with his own finger. And so we ought to strive to have them engraved in our hearts as well. Here in Exodus 31, are you there with me? Verse 18, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with what, church? Read it for me. With the finger of God. And so we, we don't see this expression again until the book of Daniel. Y'all will remember this one. We're not even going to turn to it. But you know, if you want to turn to it, it's in Daniel 5. It was toward the end of the Babylonian Empire. They're having this uh, big feast and, and celebrating. And all of a sudden, a finger appears in the, the very courtroom of the most powerful man in the world. And he writes with his finger, just like this on the wall, Manny, Manny, Tekel, Upsharsen which means you have been found, uh, weigh, you have been weighed in the scales, and you have been found wanting. And God was predicting and showing the end of that head of gold, of that Babylonian empire, and it, and it happened that very, uh, that, that very night uh, after the uh, translation was given. Uh, they laid siege and, and brought Babylon down to its knees. But my favorite one is in John 8. Do you all remember that one where the finger of God is used? Here we have this, such this sad scene, this, this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and people were trying to use her sin to uh, bring reproach upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And they brought her, this woman caught in adultery and they brought her before Jesus and they said we've caught this woman in this sin you know the law says that she should be stoned we've brought her to you what do you want to do about it and look in John chapter 8 and verse 6 and they said tempting him and this they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him but Jesus stooped down and with his what finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. We talked about Wednesday night about why God is sometimes silent. And many people have, uh, you know, speculated. What was Jesus drawing or what was Jesus writing in the ground? Some people have said that, that he wrote, that was the first time he wrote the symbol of the fish. You know, who knows what he wrote. I always think that he drew an arrow <laughs> pointing right back at the, at the uh, hypocrites. And he said, you know, because he said, anybody that is without sin, if y'all are without sin, go get the stones and, and y'all can have your, your stoning party. But they were all convicted in their, their hearts. And they went out. And what a powerful redemption. Remember, Exodus is about redemption, the finger of God is bringing redemption and freedom to his people. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? 
And she looked up. She called him Lord. She said, Lord, they're, they're all gone. And he said, isn't it beautiful? Oh, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Whatever your sins are today, listen to the words of Jesus. I don't condemn you either. You're forgiven. Well, that means you're forgiven. Go thy way. And what? Sin no more. Be redeemed. Live the redeemed life. There's, there's a justification and sanctification all in one little event with the finger of God. So let's go through these as we think about God doing this, the plagues 3 through 9. Back to the book of Exodus chapter 8. So we have this, this lice. Uh, I don't know if you've ever dealt with lice. We, we uh, got lice one time from our kids going to school, and uh, it, was, it was terrible. We still have pictures of them with the uh, plastic uh, hats on and the special shampoo, you know, uh, and it's just it's a dreadful thing to try to deal with. Well, one of the things, how this attacked Egyptian idolatry is that the Egyptians were clean freaks. Uh, they shaved their heads. They, they washed all the time. And the priest especially could not perform the religious rites unless they were completely cleansed in this way. And so here these priests, these magicians come, these guys that are supposed to be kind of running the whole idolatrous system of Egyptians, and they can't even perform their religious duties because they, they can't even get rid of the lice on themselves. And they say, this is the finger of God. This is beyond us. No act of worship could be performed. And notice what was used to bring forth the lice. It was the dust of the earth, the, the fertile valley of the Nile and of Egypt. Egypt was called the gift of the Nile. It was really the breadbasket of the world at that time. They, they, that's why their society and their civilization rose to such great power was because of the fertility of the soil. I don't know if, if you realize this. I, there's a place... Uh, in uh, in Tunica, they have uh, not a gambling place, <laughs> but uh, there's a m museum of Mississippi history there. It's really neat. It's right on the banks of the Mississippi River, and they show the depth of the uh, topsoil in the delta, and it is three stories tall. That's how deep, the, and that's the way it is because it's a delta too. It, 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 um, that alluvial fan of the Mississippi River, and, and as it floods its banks, it puts out that topsoil, and that's why it's so fertile. Well, remember what God told Adam when he cast him out of the garden. You know, the devil got cursed, I mean, the serpent got cursed, that it would slither on the ground, and that it would have enmity with man all of its days. Eve was cursed to have pain, and childbearing, and her will would be uh, to her husband. And but what was man's curse? What was cursed for man's sake? The the ground, right? The ground was cursed. Truly, the dust of the ground was was cursed here. And this that had been so fertile now that they that they worshipped uh, became a curse itself to him. And the magicians were helpless. 
to cleanse themselves or to cleanse others. And I think that's the spiritual point here. You can think of your of lice being like your own sins, right? Your lice, like we're just covered. We're covered with iniquity. We see those pictures like, you know, it said from the, soul, from the head to the sole of the foot. You're just covered uh, in iniquity. And that's the way that we are. We have all of these sins. And we're just like these magicians, right? We will be helpless uh, to cleanse ourselves. But hallelujah, we have someone whose blood cleanses us from what? From all sin, right? We have someone who can cleanse us. And even though uh, today we have come, and we all know that we have a sin nature still, and we all know that, that we have sins, yet we are cleansed. We are right with God. We could perform religious service to the Lord today because we have a high priest. We have someone interceding for us who is completely clean and completely holy and has made us right with God. So we praise God for what he's shown to us in the plague of the lice. Now, the flies, the flies came next. This was a direct attack on the fly god, Beelzebub. He was called the Lord of the flies. And I want you to notice uh, in this plague, if you're, if you're looking in uh, the passage here, we're not going to read all of it, but in Exodus 8, go to verse 24. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, and in all the land of Egypt, the lamb was what? Corrupted by reason of the flies. And, but it wasn't corrupt in Goshen. He put a division between his people and the people of God. Young people, listen to me. The devil is going to try to allure you to this world, to this vanity fair that is out there. And, he, and he's going to make you, and, and just like Pharaoh, he's going he's to uh, try to get you to stay and, and to love Egypt. But all of this world and all that is out there, it's vanity. And it's corrupt. And there must be a division between the people of God and the people of this world. And that division is corruption and incorruption. And so we see that God attacked uh, their idolatry again. He put a division between His people and the people that served idols. Notice the corruption that was in Egypt, but it was not in Goshen. And this speaks the, the flies and the insects here. Man, have you ever been at a, at a picnic or tried to have something outside? I know people that live in South Georgia can uh, know what I'm talking about with flies and gnats. I'll never forget uh, at Leslie and Jeremy's wedding in the summer, I got so full on uh, gnats, I didn't even want any wedding cake <laughs> uh, because they were, just, they were just everywhere. There was nothing that you could do about it. Well, it says, notice that it says here, uh, do y'all notice in the in your text that the of flies is added? Uh, it's in italics. It is in my Bible. Of flies is added. And so notice the word swarm. Uh, Brother, Brother Robert and I were driving up to Memphis the other day, and we looked out over this field, and Robert said, look at those low clouds. There's low clouds on those fields. 
And then we realized it wasn't low clouds, it was bugs. They were swarming. They were swarming. And so just for a, you know, it's so wonderful when Scripture can interpret Scripture. Go with me to Psalm 78. And so we, we read a little bit more about what this must have uh, been like. Because, you know, the, the plagues are mentioned in Psalm 78. And it's, it's uh, neat to just read what, how the Bible interprets itself. In verse 45 of Psalm 78, it says, He sent divers, divers sorts of flies among them, which, what? Devoured them. This, this, this was not just, just flies themselves, but it was all sorts of flying, insects, biting, stinging. Now, the lice was bad enough, right? And all the dead frogs, but then... Hear the finger of God. Oh, and amazing, the power, the sovereignty of God, His control over nature, that at His command, His armies come forth. Not an Israelite lifted a sword or pulled back a bow. But here God is humbling these idolaters and He is causing them to experience the swarm of uh, insects over their life and it says that it it was destroying them i i can't imagine we just sat out on the deck the other night before we got fuel for our tiki our tiki torches and we were just sitting out there we were just sitting out on our deck and we came inside and each one of us had about 20 mosquito bites on us but can those were just a few can y'all imagine the 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 misery the swarm of this in their lives and you would think that a ruler at this point, you know, would change course of action. And I just want to say something about our own day. You would think that the leaders that we have, just out of common sense and just of any love for citizens and for countrymen, that they're that they could realize that the actions that they have have taken has made everybody's condition worse. And you would think that Pharaoh could realize that and make a change. Oh, but such is the darkness and the hardness of heart. We can't turn to man. We cannot turn to man. We must turn to God. But we, we just kind of wonder, how could Pharaoh be this way and put his people and himself through all these hardships? But we see that it's the same in our day. It's directly correlated. The same type of spirit, the same type of heart. We are experiencing these, these different types of plagues in our own day. Let's go on. After the flies, the fifth plague, the cattle. God now, he put his finger on their flesh. He put his finger on their idolatry and their ceremonies. Now, oh, he, he puts it where, he, where it really hurts because now he touches their money. He touches their possessions. Probably they thought, well, hey, you know, they, these things were tough, but we kind of, you know, we gritted our teeth. We got through it, but, you know, we still got plenty to eat. We still have our wealth. Oh, the wealth of Egypt, right? But in it awesome what it says in Hebrews about 
about Moses that he, he forsook the treasures of Egypt and all the glory of that for the reproaches of Christ and to suffer with the people of God. What a great choice Moses made. For riches are fleeting things and possessions are fleeting things. The cattle, this was part of the glory of, of Egypt. God puts his finger on their possessions. This signifies that God will not accept anything of the wicked. You know, it reminds me of that verse that says, even of even the plowing of the wicked is what? Sin. It's wickedness. Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. And this was this was a strike at the very heart of Egyptian pride and wealth and possession and this one if you read about this one pharaoh had to get on his chariot and go out and see it for itself right because here again god struck all the the uh uh cattle of the egyptians but pharaoh took a chariot ride out to goshen and saw all that all their cattle was doing just fine oh the wonderful power and protection of god well, next uh, comes the boils, the boils, these terrible open sores and wounds. This came without warning, and this is the third division. The plagues come in threes, except the last one. The first three are related. The next three are related. We just ended, and now we're on six, seven, and eight are related together. These all come without warning directly from heaven. Remember, Moses would meet with Pharaoh and say, man, if you, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And you have those morning meetings with him. Well, now comes the last division. And God, God said, I'm through, I'm through sending him warnings. And these come, these come directly from heaven itself. First, the boils. The, they, they believe that these ashes that, Moses took were off the altars of their idolatry where they had burned even human sacrifices to their gods. They had gotten so desperate and, and the Egyptians believed in human sacrifice and that he took the ashes from that and he threw it up into the air and these ashes became boils and there was nothing that they could do about it. Look with me in Chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and to Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a bull breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took the ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it upward toward heaven and became a bull breaking forth with blains upon man, upon beast. And here's the impotency of the world. You know, wasn't it amazing? The impotency of our government when it came to COVID. Instead of doing things that actually helped, most of the times they did things that just made things worse. All these brilliant people, all these scientists, all these elite who tried to tell the rest of us how uh, to deal with the pandemic. And instead of making it better, they compounded the problem. And it says, 
Listen to what it says. And the magicians could not stand before Moses. I don't know if it was because that they were so sore after the lice, the flies, everything. I don't know if they were just weren't in physical condition to stand before Moses. But the lies of this world will never stand before the truth of God. The false prophets of this world will never be able to stand before the true men of God and the truth of God. But I don't know if it was that or if they were just, they were just so ashamed. Because these men, that, these men that prided themselves in ceremonial, ritual, purity, and cleanliness, they could not even perform their duties to their idols' gods because they were unclean. They were corrupt from head to toe. They had boils and sores just like the beast of the field did. It, it reveals and it shows the, the impetus of man's skills and man's remedies for the human condition. Amen? Amen. Man is impotent, and all of his remedies will have no effect on the true need and desperate plight of the souls of men. There's only one balm. There's only one remedy, and that is what we will partake of today, faith in the body and blood. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved you want to know today. Why you're not covered with lice. Why you're not. Uh, why that you still have so many blessings. In your life. Why that, that you can feel right with God. Look at the table beloved. Look at the table. Your redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ. And this reveals that God will not accept any worship that is false. Man really believes that he can take God as he wants God to be. Man really believes, as long as I'm sincere in my heart, God will accept my worship. That's a false, that's a falsehood. That's a lie. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, the hour coming and now is when the true worshipers must Worship God in spirit and in truth. And this plague reveals that, that anything that is false is a stench in the nostrils of God. He will not accept it. Seventh plague, the hell, the grievous hell. A hell, a storm that it says had not, there hadn't been a storm like this since the beginning. Grievous hell came from heaven itself. This reveals God's wrath against sin, against pride, against vanity. We see also in this plague what false repentance looks like. Look with me in 9 as this hell came upon them, and it was so terrible. Listen to old hard-hearted Pharaoh. Oh, no, 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 Pharaoh. Verse 27, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, listen to this, I have sinned, this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. That's false repentance. How do we know that that repentance is false? Because as soon as God lifted up off the pressure, Pharaoh went right back to the status quo, right? There was no sorrow. There was no godly sorrow that brought about a real change. 
What a difference when God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Do y'all remember that story? They were wicked. God was going to destroy them. Noah went and preached to them. And what did the people of that place do? They repented in sackcloth and ashes from the least to the greatest. And what did God do? God had mercy on them. And God spared them his wrath and judgment. But here it was not so. This was false repentance. This was grievous hell from heaven itself. And all these plagues we see tied to the great tribulation that we've read about in the book of Revelation. Then number eight, the locust. The locust, God's finger calls forth his army. That's what the locusts are called, or God's bands, God's army, to destroy the rest of the food supply in Egypt. Remember that he had already killed all the livestock. The, the Nile had, and, and, the, and, the, and the land had been affected. The water supply, the dust had been affected, the, the fertility. Now that that was in the stock, that was in the wheat that they had their hope in. God brings forth his army to destroy the food supply of Egypt. And here we see the reappearance of the rod again. You'll notice this, that God instructs them to use the rod to bring forth the armies of the locusts. And the rod is used to strike a blow for freedom for the people of God. You know, we would really love to think here in our country that we are secure. We would really like to think that. But did you know that there's, there's a real possibility that our electrical grid could experience attacks upon it for which there would be no recovery for 10 years? I, I've seen studies, real studies, if... If our enemies were able to attack our power grid in a certain way, especially with the, the age of the transformers that we have, that America, if they attacked it just right and were successful, that all of America, now think about this, that we could be without electricity for a year. It would be a year before they could even get basic basic power up and running Again, that's a real threat. That's what we call an existential threat. And sad to say that the White House is not doing anything except studying the problem. <laughs> they're studying. They're studying. Does that comfort anyone that they're doing studies on the problem? Money that could be used to be fixing and, and protecting and preventing are used to study the problem. Oh, the magicians that we have. Helpless, impotent people there are. But aren't y'all glad that we have God? Amen. We have God that could protect us. And even when there was darkness all over the land of Egypt, there was light in Goshen. And this leads us to the last plague before the tenth and final plague, the ninth plague, the darkness. God shows Egypt what it it would be like without him because that's what the world is without God without God the world lies in darkness without God your soul my soul would lie in darkness even at the beginning darkness was upon the face 
of the deep. And God said what? Let there be light. And there was what? There was light. Hallelujah. God shows in this plague of darkness, this three days, it was so dark they couldn't see their hand in front of their face. God shows Egypt what it would be like without him. You know, God is, is good to all. He sends rain to the just and to the unjust. But we, we, this is a picture of the darkness that will be at the end. But I love this. This is one of my favorite things as we close. Go with me now at the end of these plagues. Are you with me in Exodus 10? You've got to see this because this is so beautiful to me. And I hope it is to you. And I hope that you'll, you and I will live our life this way and have this kind of faith. In verse 24, And Pharaoh called unto Moses, this was after the plague, and he said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. So here's the great compromise of the devil with you, young people. He says, Well, you can, you can be in the church. You can be a church member. But we really know that the real fun, the real joy of life is in the things of the world. And really uh, put your family first and, and put your job first and and put your health first before the worship and service of God. Now, now give a little bit, you know, give enough to God that people respect you and that you feel like uh, that, you know, uh, God accepts your sacrifice. But keep a part back for yourself and give a part back for the world because that's where it's really all is. But I love what Moses says here. And this is the way that we need to react to Satan when he tries to pull us away from God, pull us away uh, from the kingdom of God, pull us away from the house of God, the people of God, of giving to God, of serving God. Our cattle also shall go with us. Oh, and I love this. Highlight this in your Bible. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. Not a hoof. Hallelujah. That's the way that we need to be as well. And this shows the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say? Of all that the Father hath given me, I have lost what? Nothing. But I'll raise it up at the last day. He said, we're not even going to leave a hoof behind of what belongs to God and to us in Egypt. And all of them made it across the Red Sea in victory. That's what we believe. That's what we preach here. A successful Savior. A definite atonement. A particular redemption. So this is God's finger. Ten fingers wrote the Ten Commandments, wrote on the wall in the palaces of Babylon. When he was here, he wrote 
in the sand. Maybe one day we'll get to ask him exactly what that was, or maybe it will be revealed to us. But our final question as we close, what about our finger? What about our finger? I know one thing we need to quit doing with our finger is blaming God and blaming others. One thing with our finger that we need to do the most is turn it toward ourselves. But I love this. After Jesus had resurrected, he came to his disciples and there was one hoof that wasn't there. <laughs> his name was what? Thomas. Thomas. Right? Thomas wasn't there. And the other disciples said, man, we saw him. He was as alive as, as you and me. And old Doubting Thomas, he said, well, I won't believe unless I take my what? My finger and I put my finger in through the, through the hole that I know that I saw in his hand. And then I'll believe and I'll know he's real and I'll know he's God. And I want to take my hand, all my fingers, and I want to put them into that place in his side where the spear struck through him. He said, and then I'll believe. Next time that they were all together, y'all know the story, right? This is, if you want to turn there, it's John 20. I'm not going to turn there. You all know the story. Jesus just, boom, appears in the room, right? Doesn't speak to anyone else. Doesn't go to anybody else. He goes directly over to Thomas. Thomas, here I am. Come forth. Put your finger. In the print of the nails. And put your hand in my side. That's what we need to do with our fingers. Place them in trust and in faith. In the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In all he is. In all that he has promised. And not give one hoof to the devil. Or to this world. And praise him for all his protection and love and redemption of our souls and of our lives. Did Thomas put his finger in those hands? Did he put his hand in his side? Did he, Brother Kevin? He did. But he says something, didn't he? He says something. It's what every true child of God will say. When they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what. I don't know how it will be when. By God's grace. I kneel before him when my life is over. But this is kind of what I imagine. As I look at him and I see. The king of glory. And I still see those nails. In his hand and the wound in his, in his side. I imagine myself that this is all that I will be able to utter as well. That's how I imagine it. But here he says, John chapter 20. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. 
Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So with our fingers today, we will take up the body. We will take up the blood, the symbols of it. And by faith, we also will express that same expression, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed, blessed are they. They have not seen, and yet have believed. Hallelujah. Jesus had us in mind. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe. Same reason for the plagues. The reason, it tells in that, I didn't read it, but in that section, if you'll read it, he says part of the reasons for the plagues is so that you will tell your sons and your sons' sons what, how God freed you from Egypt. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. May the Lord bless you and keep you as our prayer. Thank you for your good attention.